have realized now that you're saved that it didn't take care of all your giants. You still face some giants, don't you? And you know what? That's exactly the way the children of Israel um, lived, what they experienced. As they were crossing the wilderness, they went into the promised land. For every city they took, they had to conquer giants. And so I want to just begin a series this weekend on disarming your giants. And I'm going to be talking about disarming the giant of anger, disarming the giant of temptation, disarming the giant of offense, uh, disarming the giant today, the giant of anxiety. Anybody had anxiety yet this year? Just want to be sure. Disarming the, the giant of anxiety. This giant attacks people, Christians, all the time. And I'm going to talk to you about how to disarm that giant. Because, listen, the Lord wants us in victory, not defeat. He wants us conquering, not being conquered. Uh, we are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. We are not born again to be defeated by the enemy. But God wants us walking in victory. So I'm going to talk about that today, uh, disarming the giant of anxiety. Let's read one of my favorite passages in the Bible. You know this. And so I'm going to ask you to just uh, read it with me out loud, just like you're preaching, okay? You get to preach for a minute. Let's read it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, your hearts and minds through what a great, great promise. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us what we need to disarm the giant of anxiety. I thank you, Lord, you haven't given us a spirit of anxiety, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So put your word deep in our innermost, innermost today, so that, Lord, we will leave here today knowing how to disarm this troublesome giant. Can you pray with me and say, Lord, I receive your word. Speak to my heart in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're being seated, tell your neighbor, he's coming down. He's coming down. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Now, the word anxious is really interesting. It's taken from a Greek word that means to be divided or distracted. To be divided or distracted. It means that you're, you're trying to focus on something, but you, you can't because you're distracted. You're divided. James called it having a double mind. You're, you're double-minded. You're, you're pulled in several different directions when you need to be focusing on the Lord and His will for your life, on your spiritual growth, on pursuing Him. So to be divided. We, we say about somebody or ourselves, we, we say, I'm really torn about this. That, that's an expression of, I, I'm having anxiety. It's tearing me. It's, it's pulling me. It's distracting me. We say about another person, boy, they, they really fell apart. Well, they probably didn't fall apart. They were pulled apart by anxiety and distraction. It means you can't focus. You're, you're having trouble staying with one thing. And that's the whole idea behind anxiety. And one of the consequences of America departing from God, as we have done publicly anyway in the schools 
in the, you know, the sports events and all the places where we cannot say the name of God or the name of Christ anymore. The way our culture has said to God, we really don't want you anymore. Thanks, but no thanks. There are consequences for that. And one of them has been a rise in national anxiety. A rise in national angst. The Atlanta Journal reports these words, quote, America is turning into a country of hand wringers. Nearly one in five of us, 40 million American adults, suffer from anxiety disorders. Think about that. That's incredible. 40 million people have such anxiety, it becomes officially a disorder. I am so anxious, I have developed a disorder. I need help. Another periodical reports this, quote, America has become a very tense and anxious nation. Millions of us are kept awake at night by racing thoughts. And we're so edgy during the day that our blood pressure skyrockets and our hearts pound, even though there's no real threat in sight. It's floating anxiety. My heart races, I can't sleep. I toss and turn at night because I'm anxious and I can't even pinpoint why. I'm just anxious. A perfect example of an anxious personality or an anxious mindset is in the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus came to their house. And you know the story. Mary immediately sat at Jesus' feet and began to listen to what he was saying and received the word of God and was just being blessed just for hours on end while Martha was in the kitchen and you could hear the clinging and the clanging and the slamming doors as her anger arose that Mary wasn't in there with her. And finally she came bursting into the room and said, Jesus, would you tell Mary, now I'm paraphrasing here, but would you tell my sister to get in here and help me? Now I want you to listen to what Jesus said to her. He said, Martha, Martha, when he says your name twice, you're in trouble. <laughs> Martha, Martha, you are anxious. Now hear this. It mean, means, Martha, you have an anxious mind. You are anxious and troubled about many things. That describe you? You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary, said Jesus. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. In other words, Mary has chosen something that she's never going to lose. And that is receiving the Word of God, like you're doing right now. You're receiving a word from the Lord out of His book, and you're never going to lose it. It's a seed sown into your spirit, and it's eternal. It's called the eternal seed of the Word of God. So Jesus is saying, Martha, you are so filled with anxiety that you're distracted. You're pulled. You, you can't focus on my Word. And your anxiety is robbing you of my word. You're so busy with the work of the Lord, you have no time for the Lord of the work. So, Martha, you're losing. You're, you're losing. You're losing because of your anxiety. And, and that's the story behind anxiety. Anxiety is designed by the enemy to rob us of being able to focus on the one thing that Jesus said was needful. How many times do we say, I'm too busy to go to church? I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to get into the Word. And you know what we're saying right there? I'm so filled with anxiety and cares, I can't focus. 
So there, there, there's really two kinds of people in the world. Those who are so anxious and troubled about life, they cannot focus on the one thing most important, Jesus Christ and his word. And then there's those who are able to lay aside their worries and their cares in order to respond to him, spend time with him, and grow spiritually. And so you're either a Martha or a Mary, but my guess is all of us are at one time or another a little bit of both, depending on the day. See, on Sunday, we're all Marys. Hallelujah, glory to God. Halo over our head. But on Monday, we become Martha, right? Now, anxiety has an evil twin. The evil twin of anxiety is worry. I hate worry. I hate worry because of what it does to you. Now, keep in mind, anxiety means to be distracted, to be pulled aside, not able to focus. But worry means to strangle or to choke. And they work together. Anxiety and worry work together. They feed each other. They feed on each other. When you're anxious, you worry. When you're worried, you're anxious. They feed each other. The idea behind worry is, while I'm being distracted by the anxiety, I'm being choked. My spiritual life is being choked by worry. It's being strangled. Worry strangles our joy. It chokes our peace. And, and, and it will even strangle and affect your health if you don't deal with worry. Worry puts that knot in your stomach, robs you of sleep, makes you believe things that are coming that may not be coming at all. It is filled with fear, uncertainty. There is torment in worry. There is torment in anxiety. The Bible says fear has torment. And he that fears is not made perfect in love. And I'm going to tell you, folks, God did not give us anxiety and he did not give us worry. It didn't come from God. If you're worried or you're filled with anxiety, you can know God the Father did not give that to you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took straight deadly aim at worry. And he told those that were following him, he said, do not worry. And he told them what not to worry about. He said, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what, what, or your body, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about drink, food, clothing. Don't worry about the basic necessities of life. Don't worry about those things because you, my disciples, have a heavenly Father who's going to take care of you. So don't be choked with worry about stuff, things, basic necessities. And while he was at it, he told us another thing don't worry about. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Trouble, or today's trouble, is enough for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's not here yet. You don't know what's coming with tomorrow. Somebody said worry about tomorrow is like paying interest on troubles that haven't come. You're paying on a loan you haven't taken. You're paying interest on a loan that you haven't even gotten. You're paying interest on tomorrow's troubles when they're not even here yet and may not even happen. You're investing in tomorrow when you don't know what tomorrow brings. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry is like a dark room where negatives are developed. If you're worrying, if you're all in a cloud of worry, man, you can come up with some good stuff. As a matter of fact, worry is like backward faith. Because what is faith? Faith is, I believe something good is on the way. 
I believe God's going to save me, bless me, lead me, guide me, heal me, deliver me. I wake up in the morning, I'm excited about what God's going to do. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. And if you have a God like that, you ought to wake up excited. What is God going to do today? What is God going to do in my life today? And every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, James said, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of change. Of his own good will, he begat us with the word of truth. So when it's, it's God that you're believing for, you know that it's going to be good. But worry is the opposite. Worry is opposite faith. It's almost hell's kind of faith. Because worry believes that something bad is going to happen, and you will worry about it, and worry about it, and worry about expecting, you know, that you're going to get a bad report, that you're going to lose your job, your marriage is going to fall apart, your kids are going to go crazy. You're worried, you're eaten up with it, and it's choking you. It's opposite. It's hell's faith. So don't worry, said Jesus. Don't invest your energy and your time in worrying about an unknown tomorrow. So if you're worried about tomorrow, stop it. Stop it. Because who holds your tomorrow, the devil or God? God holds your tomorrows. And Jesus said, by the way, if you're worrying, can I just inform you, it's completely useless. You're doing something that's never going to accomplish a thing. He said, can all your worries add a single moment to your life or an inch to your height? Can you sit around worrying about things? In other words, worry is futile. It accomplishes absolutely nothing but making you sick. It solves nothing. It's like sitting in a rocking chair. You're going back and forth but going nowhere. It's like being on a hamster's wheel. You're worried, worried. You're running in that worry, but you're not getting anywhere. It's not accomplishing anything. It's futile. So can you say with me today, worry is not worth it. Stop it. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop it. <laughs> Jesus assured his disciples. Listen to what Jesus said. He, said. he said, God knows about your needs, and your heavenly Father is going to take care of you. They're just walking along, and he's talking to them about worry. He says, don't worry about things. And then he said, come on, guys, look up at the sky. Look up there. And he said, look at the birds. See that sparrow. See that mockingbird. See that cardinal. See that blue jay. See that crow. See that blackbird. See them all. They don't plant, and they don't harvest. They don't have a job. They don't get a paycheck. They don't go to the bird store. But he said, your heavenly Father feeds every one of them. You know, I worry about those birds every winter. When it's going to ice and snow and it's really, really cold, I look out my window and I worry about those birds. And then I remember this verse where Jesus said, your heavenly Father feeds them and not one falls to the ground without his notice. But even so, I take them out food. I say, God's going to use me. But he, he says, look, he said, if... if if I feed the sparrow, the blackbird, the blue jay, I feed all those birds in winter and summer, in terrible weather and good, are you not much more valuable than them? And you think if I take care of those birds, I'm not going to take care of you? So stop your worrying. But he didn't stop there. He went from pointing up to pointing around. He said, 
Guys, look at the fields. Look at the fields. Look at the lilies, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. They don't have a mall to go to. They have no clothing stores. They just sit there. And yet, he says, Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as one of those blue bonnets on the side of the road. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly take care of you. You can hear Jesus, so stop worrying. And wrapping up his message on worry, Jesus told us what a well-balanced life looks like. He says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which you can only do if you're not filled with anxiety and worry, you, you will put him first if you're free of those things. He said, if you will put him first and seek his kingdom, all these things will be added to you. Promise. It'll get to you. So we know what Jesus said about worry. We know that we shouldn't be filled with anxiety. We have been commanded as his followers not to worry and not to be filled with anxiety. We know that it robs us. We know it steals from us. We know it affects us. It's a thief. We know that. But how do you disarm it when it comes? Because my experience with worry and anxiety is it gets a hold of me, gets a grip on me, and I'm experiencing it. And it's almost like, how do I stop this thought process, this cycle? How do I disarm this anxiety? And that's exactly what Paul told us how to do in Philippians 4. Here's how you disarm it. He said, first, be anxious for nothing. Now, watch carefully. There is a difference between being legitimately concerned about something and being filled with sinful anxiety. If you are legitimately concerned about something, God says, I made you that way. You got children that have gone off into drugs or your spouse is not walking with God or you're afraid about your marriage or afraid about your, your, your job or there, there, there's things going on that concern you. God understands that. If you are looking at the weather forecast and the weatherman says, here's a tornado, it's a major one, and you see that it's headed straight for your house. If you're not concerned, something is wrong with you. Okay? But here's the deal. Sinful anxiety enters the picture when you take your eyes off of God, when you doubt his care, when you focus on the problem to the exclusion of taking the problem to God. It is when you freak out, you panic, and you forget God, and you lose faith in God, and you fully focus on the problem. That is when you're in sinful anxiety. And Jesus said, don't do that. Perfect example is the disciples on the boat. The disciples on the boat with Jesus, they're out in the middle of the sea. They're halfway across and suddenly out of nowhere comes a terrible storm. Lightning is flashing, thunder booming, waves rolling. They start rolling into the boat. And the disciples went from legitimate concern to sinful anxiety. And they shouted out to the Lord who was asleep in the helm. They shouted out, don't you care that we are drowning? Well, of course he did. Jesus stood up, yawned, rubbed his eyes, looked up at the storm. Stop it. Pointed the waves. Stop it. And then looked at them. And they're like this. 50 cent pieces for eyeballs. And they asked a great question. 
What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the seas obey him. We thought he was just kind of a good teacher. We were thinking he was just kind of an inspirational personality. But this guy just talked to the storm and to the ocean, and it said, yes, sir. Okay? So there's only one person who can do that, and that is God the Son, who made all those things anyway. And Jesus looked at them and he said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So, so with that in mind, Paul's advice, number one of disarming anxiety is this. Be concerned, but don't be filled with faithless anxiety about anything. Be anxious for no thing. God is with you. God knows about it. And then he says, second, let's disarm this giant. He said, pray about everything. So we're not to be anxious about anything, and we're to pray about everything. Now, let me tell you an interesting thing about the word prayer. The word prayer has a root in it in the original language that means toward. It has to do with what direction you're going to where you're going with your problem. Prayer means I am going towards God. Now, let me tell you what a lot of people do. A lot of people live horizontally, and there's no vertical in their life. They don't take any problems up to God. They take all their problems to another person. They go to it. Now, not, nothing against counselors. I believe in counselors. But I don't believe in counselors exclusively. I believe in going to a counselor, and I also believe in going to God. And I think you ought to go to God before you go to a counselor, because he is called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So his very name is Counselor. So if he's a counselor, he must want to counsel us. Okay? So you're going up. Now, here's what a lot of people, they, some people just go horizontal. They go to other people with their problems. And, and then other people go to the bottle. They go horizontal. They grab a bottle. Miller Lite, Bud Light, vodka, whiskey, rum, bourbon, whatever it is. Boy, it got quiet in here just now. <laughs> and they say, man, I'm just so full of stress. I'm so full of anxiety. I'm so full of worry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just numb myself. And they begin to drink. The only problem is when the buzz is gone, the problem is still there. That's right. Or these days, they go to Colorado and smoke pot. Stuck on stupid. There's no answer in pot. You know, God made it. Well, God made poison ivy, too. Are you going to smoke that, eat that, put that in your brownies? God made it. God made a lot of things, dude, that aren't going in my mouth. This is not in my notes. This is, this is third service. I just want to preach for a minute. I got saved in jail as a 16-year-old for pot. I know about pot. 
And I know this. I don't care if the whole nation legalizes it. A believer doesn't need it. You know, let me tell you something. Watch this. Who would have ever thought Paul needed to add an addendum to be not drunk with wine? Now we can say be not drunk with wine or high on pot, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? See, prayer says it matters where you go. Prayer means I'm taking it toward God, and I am casting all of my cares upon him, for he cares for me. See, that's where the anxiety is coming from. You're carrying, and I carry, if I'm not careful, all the problems, all the issues, the relationship problems, the, the temptation problems, the, the, the weariness problems, the, the people problems, all the things that stack up on us. If we don't take it vertical, then we carry it or we drown it or numb it away. Bible says you as a believer have a vertical access the world doesn't have. So casting all your cares upon him. Tell him what's bugging you. Tell him what's weighing you down. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear, the hymn says, all because we do not carry how many things? Everything to God in prayer. Now, that word casting, very powerful. Remember when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on, on the donkey and all the hosannas and palm leaves and all of that? Good Sunday, Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. And it says that when he started to go in there and they had gotten the donkey, that his disciples took off their cloaks and threw or cast their cloaks onto the donkey, and then they put Jesus on the donkey. Now watch this. They took off their cloak, threw it on the donkey, and they walked away without their cloak. It was now in another place. It's the same word, casting. When we cast our cares onto the Lord, we are to cast them onto him and walk away, leaving it on him, and we walk away without it. Now, here's the way some of you do. You do it like a fisherman. Here's your cares. You cast them onto the Lord, and in 10 minutes, you're reeling it back. And the Lord says, what are you doing? I thought you just cast it onto me. Well, I was just looking it over, make sure you were doing something with it, and I just thought, you know, I... Casting all your cares upon him and leaving the weight of the burden. Psalms 55, 22 says, casting all your burden upon the Lord. Cast all your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. So you want to be sustained by God? Give him the weight of what is eating on you, vexing you, weighing you down, hurting you, concerning you choking you with worry. Take your request towards God. Give him everything. We're to give everything to him. Now, you know what everything means in the Greek? It's good. A lot of you know, know me by now. It means everything. It means little things. It means big things because little things become big if you don't take care of them when they're little. Everything. Everything means your afflictions, your embarrassments, your betrayals, your trials, your spiritual condition, 
your body, your mind, your home, your friends, your conflicts, your losses, your trials, your hopes, your dreams, your fears, everything you take to the Lord, toward the Lord in prayer. There's nothing we can't take to the Lord and spread out before him, not anything. So, Pastor Jeff, there's some things I cannot tell the Lord. Well, he already knows, silly. God never says, well, I'll be. I didn't know that. Gabriel, did you know that? I didn't know. Can you believe? You say, but Jeff, does he really care about the little things? Come on, you really think God cares about the little things? The seemingly inconsequential stuff, does God really care? If it matters to you, it matters to him. If it matters to you, it matters to him. Those of you that are parents know if it matters to your child, you may consider it inconsequential. But if it matters to them, it matters to you. God's the same way. Jesus said, your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Well, then why do I need to take them to him? Because he wants us operating in prayer by faith so that when he answers the prayer, he's glorified in Jesus Christ. That's why. Your heavenly father already knows you need all these things. Matthew 6, verse 30, will he not much more clothe you, put clothes on your back, O you of little faith? He cared enough to provide the disciples with tax money out of a fish's mouth. I really want to try that one one day. I want to know how to get in on that miracle. They need a tax money. Jesus said, go fishing. It's going to be in the fish's mouth. What about that? Can we name and claim that one? Don't try it. My point is he cared enough. He cared enough to provide a picnic lunch for all the masses of people that had followed him for days and were hungry and tired. He cared enough to break the five loaves and two fishes and feed them all. He cared enough. He cared enough to observe and congratulate that little widow who came walking up to the temple, and all she had was two pennies. She dropped it into the offering plate, and Jesus looked at it and said, You see her? Everybody else has given out of their abundance, but she gave out of her need, she gave all she had. And Jesus cared enough to brag on her, point it out, and put her in the eternal word of God. He cared enough. If it matters to you, it matters to him. Now, next thing he says, he says, all right, you want to get rid of the, you want to disarm anxiety? Here you go. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything going toward God. And then he said, with prayer and supplication. Now, a, somebody who is supplicating is a suppliant. If you are a suppliant, then what are you doing? Supplication means to pray for a specific, urgent, heartfelt need. So you are coming to God itemizing what you need him to do. You are being specific. And you are saying, God, here's my need, and I'm supplicating. I'm coming to you. I prayed. I'm coming toward you. I'm casting my cares upon you. And now, Lord, I need that $30.43 for a water bill. I need for you to heal my marriage. I need for you to touch my children. I need for you to move. And I'm telling you exactly what it is I need. Lord, here it is. Here's the list. I'm laying it out. I'm not going to leave the place of prayer until I have made every request I've got to you. 
I'm going to give it all to you. Open a door for me, Lord. I need a job. Close the door. I hate this job. <laughs> Lord, a, a door is closed. Open a window. Lord, please, here's my son. I am not going to leave the place of prayer with anxiety. Not going to do it. It's all going to be on you. And then he said, once you have made supplication, once you pray toward him, he said, you end it with thanksgiving. You end it, you close it with thanksgiving. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. With thanksgiving. Well, why thanksgiving? Because thanksgiving is the language of faith. I'm going to say that again. Thanksgiving is the song, the language, the action of faith. Because thanksgiving says, I know you heard me. And I believe you're moving on my behalf. That if I have prayed anything according to your will, you have heard me. And if I know you've heard me, I know I have the petitions I've requested of you. So I'm thanking you ahead of time. Matter of fact, I'm going to set the table even though there's no food in the pantry. I'm thanking you, Lord. You know, it's really sad how, how rarely people thank anymore. We don't thank God and we don't thank others. You can do so many things for some people, they never say thank you. They never say thank you. It's sort of like, ah, well, I expected it because I'm, I am me. And since I'm me, I'm so wonderful that I expect I'm entitled to what I got. Matter of fact, we live in a nation full of people with entitlement mentalities. Entitlement. See, we believe the government ought to pay for our food, our health care, our college tuition, everything. Cradle to grave, the government ought to take care of me. Well, where's your faith in God? Jehovah Jireh, who takes care of all your needs. It's not Jehovah DC, it's Jehovah Jireh. Okay? But we're, we're a nation of entitlement people. Half our nation is on some level of wel welfare. And I know that half our nation is not disabled. Half our nation is on some form of welfare. That's one half. Now, the other half of us pay taxes that takes care of the first half. Now, I ask you, how is that fair? How do you justify that? Well, the first half says, well, because I'm me, I'm entitled to it. Well, I'm me over here, and I'm entitled too. So why don't you work for a while and pay taxes, and I'll take Don't shout up and jump me down now. Or don't jump up and shout me down now. We're going to edit that one out. <laughs> oh, boy. But, but we have this entitlement. I'm entitled. I'm just so wonderful, so incredible. I'm entitled to anything I get. And if I don't get everything I want, I complain, murmur, pout, rebel, play a violin, Poor me. Nobody knows the troubles I bear. But you know what? Can I shock you with something? God owes us nothing. Amen. Nothing. Not anything. We have what we have from God because of pure, amazing grace. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He chose to do it. It wasn't because he looked down and said, you're so wonderful, so incredible, so magnanimously beautiful. 
and stupendous. I've, I, you owe what I'm going to give you. No, we were sinning in his face, breaking our relationship with him, transgressing his commandments, and worthy of hell. And God broke through with grace. Crazy grace. Amazing grace. The way of the kingdom of God is to be thankful. David said, oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. His mercy endures forever. Jesus was a great thanker of God. He said, I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hid these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. He was a thanker of God. And if Jesus needed to thank God, where does that leave us? Thanksgiving at the end of our prayer time is the language of faith. It says we believe we've been heard. It expresses a right attitude towards God. It shows humility, deference, and a submissive heart. And here's the blessing now. If I'm, gonna, I'm about to disarm the giant of anxiety because he says if you pray, take it towards God, refuse to be filled with sinful anxiety, give him everything you need, supplicate before him and then thank him, here's when the giant is disarmed. Then, everybody say then. Here's the result. Then you will experience God's peace, which passes all understanding. His peace will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So I've got this anxiety that's pounding my heart and mind. And it's replaced with the peace that guards my heart and mind. And the giant of anxiety is gone. And I've got peace that is, that is so incredible, it's beyond the ability of the intellect to comprehend it. Because in the middle of a ferocious storm, I could be standing in the eye of the storm filled with peace. And that doesn't make sense. And the world sees you filled with that kind of peace. They say, where would you get this peace? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. I prayed. I went vertical with it. I took it to God. And he has guarded me with peace. And that's one of the inheritances of the children of God. So I want us to do something. Can we stand right now? And can we just lift our hands to the Lord and thank him for all that he has done? He has been so good. Father, we enter your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. We thank you, Lord, that by your sacrifice on the cross and your shed blood, we now have glorious access into your throne room where we can come toward you because of the blood. And Lord, we can cast all of our cares upon you and leave them there. And then, Lord, because of your grace, we can give you a list. We can itemize what our needs are and what our requests are. And then, Lord, we thank you that we know we've been heard. Now, let's just do something with your hands lifted up towards the great God. Just name one thing he's done for you that you can thank him for. Just name it and thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. If nothing else, you can thank him you're saved. Thank him you know him. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Now with our heads bowed for a moment. 
Some of you in here have, have drifted from the Lord. You've drifted from the Lord. And I was so impressed when I was standing over there worshiping earlier to give an invitation to people who have drifted and people who need to come to know him. Someone is here today who's drifted, but you know it's time to come home. My saying that is not new to you. The Lord has already impressed your heart with this. And I'm only confirming it. And some of you need to come to Jesus Christ for the first time in your life and ask him into your heart. And he will save you. He will fill you with his love. And he will transform you. So with our heads bowed, I've just got to move on what God has impressed me with. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I, it's me. The Holy Spirit knows about me. It's me. And I need to pray. I need to come home. Raise your hand, would you, right where you are, quickly, high. Put it high. God bless you, many of you. You need to come to know Jesus. You need to ask him into your heart. Raise your hand. Real good and high. God bless you and you and you. I want you to do something. Forget about everybody in this room. This is not about anybody in this room, but it's about you and God. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I did this when I was in juvenile home at 16. The preacher said, I want you to come down and stand in front of me. I want to pray with you. I was the only one that went, but it changed my life. I want you to come down right now. Come quickly. Tell your feet to begin to walk. Step out. No one is looking. I want you to come and pray. Come right now. Now's the time. Now's the moment. This is your moment of salvation. I want you to come right now. Slip out. There's nothing to fear. If Jesus walked up Golgotha's hill naked and bleeding for you, then you can walk down and say, I need you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to stand here and wait. Anyone else, come quickly, slip out. Amen. Well, God is here. I'm telling you, he's touching people. And I want those that have come down to say this simple prayer with me because God's about to do a miracle in your life. Say with me, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of all my sin. Redeem me by your blood. And guide my life from this moment forward. In Jesus' name.